Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. He always helps make markets understandable for us here on Money and Me. Good morning. I'm Michelle Martin speaking with Jeffrey Haley, Senior Market Analyst at Oanda. How are you, Jeff? Good morning, Michelle. Very well. Thank you for having me. Great to speak with you as always. Now, fans of the show know that every time we have you on, we divide our program into three parts. We tailor it for you. We look at the main narrative shaping market movements, and then we move on to specific investment areas and a lightning round. But this week, we're going to add a new feature. It's a Jeopardy-style game show that will come up a little later. Are you ready to roll with us, Jeff? I've seen those shows, though, so as long as it doesn't hurt, I'm all for it. (laughs) There will be no tanks of sharks. All right, let's start with the yen and the Chinese government bonds, uh, the currency markets. China's currency, to be more specific, the renminbi was just on a tear last week, notching up biggest gains for it in more than 13 years. Yesterday, though, Beijing adjusted trading rules, making it easier and cheaper for investors to bet against its currency. And that led to a half percent drop in its value yesterday. So I want to start by asking you, Jeff, why has China's currency been appreciating? Is it due to the fundamentals in China's economy, US dollar weakness, political movements, or some combination of all those factors? Yeah, I think it's some combination of all of those factors. Plus, when you look at uh, China's interest rate policy, they've not cut interest rates at all this year. They've uh, preferred to do their uh, stimulus directly via the fiscal route and not using uh, monetary policy. That means that the uh, Chinese yuan now has a very substantial uh, interest rate differential uh, advantage over most uh, major currencies, well, all major currencies in the world. The yuan, actually, if uh, we had an open uh, capital account in China, would be a lot higher if uh, if they had an open uh, currency uh, capital account because uh, Chinese interest rates are around, I think, about 4%. All right, so this show is meant to reach out to people who want to understand investment. So I want to start by asking you why, when we talk about China's currency appreciating, uh, in your update to investors yesterday, you point out that by amending a regulation on short-selling, Beijing avoids the appearance of intervening directly in the currency markets. Do you expect this move, this tweak, will have a long-term impact, or will the renminbi resume its upward trend? I'm more to the case that it will be uh, a short blip, actually. Uh, the, the actual policy in place has been there for um, quite some time now. It requires banks to hold 20% of the amount of that that their customers have sold in renminbi and, and bought in foreign currency. And it's been there to sort of stop big currency outflows uh, for, from China. By removing that... It takes away uh, that incentive and uh, it makes the, uh, uh, the, uh, the Chinese yuan uh, less appealing. So what they're trying to do is slow down the pace of appreciation of, of the uh, yuan. I don't think they're trying to stop it. Mm. They're more likely just trying to modify that pace so that it's not so exuberant. So Beijing has changed course, Jeff, on this so-called 20% rule three times since it was first introduced in 2015. So if the yuan were to drop too much, it seems like it might just reintroduce it again. What do you think? That's exactly what would happen. We have to understand that uh, as far as onshore yuan goes, it's a managed current account. 
and it manages the value of the currency. It does look at external factors, but it is very much controlled, which is what this term closed capital account is. You can't move money in and out across the Chinese border freely, like you could say in, say, Singapore or, or United States. And mm. this is one of the tools that it uses. So I think this is a good point for a, a market primer. When we look at the yuan, there is the offshore and the onshore trading, CNH and CNY. Remind us why the currency has two different ticker symbols and whether or not, and can retail investors buy and sell either one? The answer to your last part of the question is yes, mm. but with CNY, which is the onshore, uh, there are certain uh, restrictions, as there are restrictions for Chinese citizens trying to move money out of China. I think they're limited to $50,000 worth of CNY per year. In a nutshell, CNH is the offshore uh, yuan. So it trades outside of China's borders. It's freely convertible uh, and it's used mostly by the markets to, uh, we would say, speculate or position themselves uh, for views on uh, the, the, the Chinese economy. The CNY is the onshore, uh, inside China, if you like, uh, Chinese yuan. And that one is very carefully managed by the government. And that's the one that people use to move physical money in and out. So corporations or investors would be using CNY uh, to move money in and out of China. And that one is very closely managed. And it has a fixing rate each day uh, posted by the PBOC. Mm-hmm. And the currency is allowed to fluctuate within 2% of that uh, of that fixing rate, which, for example, today against mm-hmm. the dollar was 673. So is there ever arbitrage between the two markets? Is there money to be made, at least for those who have access, by selling in one yuan market and buying in the other? Absolutely. It's a nice, juicy source of profits for those uh, banks, which happen to be, unsurprisingly, mostly Chinese banks. Uh, that have uh, the uh, the license or the regulatory uh, approval uh, to, to do that. So definitely there's a huge amount of arbitrage. And it also explains why the CNH does not move too far away from the CNY, because when it does, mm. then those arbitrage sellers or buyers come in and push that, 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 that differential back in again. So mm. certainly is a very uh, profitable corner of, of, of the financial markets if you have the correct approvals. Ah, so my last question about the renminbi for now. It's currently trading at around 671 to the US dollar. Where do you see it headed between now and the end of the year, Jeff? I think we're heading into a secular dollar downtrend anyway over the next year or two as it is. Uh, when we look at uh, China's uh, economic performance this year after its COVID-19 shutdown, it's been nothing short of spectacular. Combined with its interest rate yield differential, the fantastic e- economic data that's coming out of China, I think the only way is up for the uh, for the CNH and for the CNY versus the US dollar. All right, one more China question for you, Jeff. This week, a Singaporean bank issued a buy call on Chinese government bonds. DBS Bank says it's, quote, high time to recognize that China government bonds are a viable alternative. It adds that China bonds are a good hedging tool and that it expects foreign investors to increasingly buy them. Do you agree? Yes, on paper. The, the, the challenge there is obviously they have a closed capital account, so it's not necessarily that accessible for your average retail investor mm. um, getting over this great firewall of China. But uh, I would definitely agree with that. They have been included in the FTSE Russell uh, World Global Bond Index, and that is going to be about, uh, last calculations, around about $100 billion uh, worth of inflows into the China government bond index over the next two years. 
Speaking of accessibility, just a few weeks ago, the Singapore Exchange introduced a new ETF uh, that invests solely in Chinese government bonds with more than 700 million US dollars in assets under management. It is the largest such fund. So do you think this is something retail investors, sh- you know, should be looking at for their portfolio or it's worth looking at? Absolutely. I mean, if you want to have exposure as a retail investor to the uh, to, to the China government bond market, or the China bond market in general, the ETFs are definitely the way to go, simply because the provider of the ETF does all the regulatory paperwork and all the heavy lifting and the admin uh, to, to, to actually make that trade happen. Uh, also, you're aggregating your money with other investors' money, which gives you more clout, so to speak. Uh, ETFs are an extremely efficient way of tracking uh, sectors of the financial markets uh, all across the world, and that's why they've become uh, so popular. They're also quite uh, low cost as well. All right, Jeff, let's turn to U.S. markets now. The presidential elections are in just 22 days. Nearly 8 million people in the U.S. have contracted COVID-19. Some 215,000 have died. The U.S. economy shrank by more than 30% at an annualized pace during the second quarter of this year. And yet, the Nasdaq is up more than 30% since the start of the year. Small caps are up 17% over the past three months. So that was a lot of numbers in the intro to this topic. But the basic story is the economy is down. COVID is arguably still out of control. Elections are nearing and stocks are up. So how do you make sense of this U.S. market? What is your narrative, Jeff? I can see the confusion here, but uh, I think it's uh, best just to drill down to the to the big issues. Hmm. Uh, one, the markets are now increasingly comfortable with a Biden president and also a Democrat-controlled Houses of Congress. Uh, The numbers that they've run on the economic uh, packages uh, from both sides indicate that uh, the Democrats' package will add more jobs and more economic growth over the next few years to the United States. So that's been positive for stocks because uh, markets don't like uncertainty. Uh, the, uh, The underlying reason why we're seeing this huge rally in asset prices comes down to one thing, and this is this huge amount of 0% money that central banks around the world have been pumping uh, into the global economy to keep it going uh, over COVID-19. It's much like uh, the price action we saw during the global financial crisis where we were in a huge recession, but asset prices kept uh, moving higher. And this is exactly the same situation, but on steroids this time. Okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate now, Jeff, uh, because I've heard some analysts say they're not expecting a blue wave, uh, you know, that democratic sweep of presidency at both houses of Congress, as much as they're expecting a green tsunami. And some define this as an emphasis on companies with ESG. Others say a green tsunami is really about cheap money and how the markets are awash in cash. Your thoughts on this, the green tsunami? Yeah, I do believe that uh, it is a, is a very topical way of investing at the moment. But I, I, I think it'll mostly be European and American investors who will impose these ESG guidelines. I don't think this is going to become a big part of other investors in other parts of the world's Thinking, I think this uh, th- this has been driven by huge amounts of zero percent uh, central bank money, mm. uh, at which the ESG is coattailing at the moment. Although I do believe that in the future ESG will become more important.
So back to the blue wave scenario, JP Morgan Chase is arguing that if the Democrats do sweep the elections, there could be a market sell-off afterwards as investors assess the impact of higher taxes and particularly higher capital gains taxes, but that any sell-off would be short-lived. Do you agree with their take? I could, I could well see that. I, I would note that when President Trump was elected uh, in 2016, it seems so long ago now, uh, there was a huge market sell-off when that happened. Uh, but that sell-off lasted precisely 18 hours uh, before the markets rallied again for the next couple of years. So I would expect maybe much the the same sort of uh, action after the elections if it is a blue-green sweep. But I do believe that JP Morgan's slightly wrong there. Mm. Um, I I think that the market is, in fact, uh, uh, pricing in a a Democrat clean sweep and certainly a Biden presidency. This is Money and Me. He's Jeffrey Haley, Senior Market Analyst at Owanda. I'm Michelle Martin. All right, Jeff, I want to take a look at some specific stocks with you. Let's start with those tech stocks. Apple shares had their best session overnight since July. The stock has more than doubled in value over the past year. We know people like their iPhones. and They may be excited by the new lineup of 5G devices going to be launched tonight. But do you think the stock is fairly valued at these levels? Is it still a good buy? Yeah, I think it's a case of not standing in front of a, a moving train. I, I think there's a, there's a huge amount of pent-up consumer demand out there, and this new iPhone, whatever it looks like and whatever it does, mm. is going to be meeting some of that. So I, I, I believe that uh, Apple's problem will be meeting demand uh, for these phones, uh, not not producing them, and, and that will reflect very positively in, in, in its financial results. So I'm still a fan. All right. There are moves in both the U.S. and Europe, though, to rein in big tech. The House Judiciary Committee in the U.S. Congress recently wrapped up a 15-month investigation and Democratic lawmakers calling for a host of new measures that, among other things, will make new acquisitions more difficult for the companies. Meanwhile, over in Europe, regulators are considering forcing companies like Facebook and Apple and Amazon to share their data with rivals. So I have two questions, Jeff, for you about this. First, do you think these measures are needed? Absolutely. I think data privacy is going uh, to become a bigger and bigger issue uh, for the world. And also, I do firmly believe that big tech, whether uh, it's doing it on purpose or by accident, by their size, is squeezing out competition. It's very hard for uh, a company to come in and bring a product to market now that these guys can replicate or can't replicate, I should say, just using their sheer size and the and the resources they can bring. So I, I do believe that uh, this will be uh, an ongoing issue and it is, a, it, is, it is a threat, shall we say, to big tech. And so do you, if they do come to pass these measures, do you expect FANG stocks to fall out of favour? Not this year. I think this will be a, an issue for uh, 2021 once the world gets on top of COVID-19. Mm. Uh, I, I think uh, the real uh, key to it will be is will the Democrats win the Senate and the presidency because that will then give them the power to actually uh, enact these antitrust uh, regulations or proposals on big tech. So that will be a game changer. But I do believe that uh, the tech rally will continue at least until the end of the year. And this is going to be more of an issue for 2021. But I do regard it as a real threat uh, to big tech in 2021. As we've been discussing, tech stocks have been the primary drivers of the U.S. market so far this year, but we have seen small caps performing better. So is it time for investors to rotate into cyclicals like industrials or healthcare? I think we're a little too soon for that one. The momentum is definitely with big tech or technology stocks, and they are responsible for most of this 
asset price rally that we have seen uh, after the mid-March capitulation. I, I think we, I mean, when you look around the world, we're seeing Europe imposing more lockdowns, the UK, uh, they're still not on top of it in, in the United States, for example, in these developed uh, economies. Uh, I think we need to have these vaccines arrive and we need a much clearer trajectory of growth before you start looking for that uh, big um, that big uh, rotation. And I would say to, to, to your listeners, mm. nobody ever extracts every last pip of a move. So if you miss it from the start, it's not the end of the world, yeah? It's catching the trend in the bigger term, not trying to get the absolute highs and lows. Wise words there. Jeffrey Haley, a senior market analyst at Owanda. Just want your views on this, Jeff. SoftBank Visions Fund saying it's going to outline plans for a blank check company within the next two weeks. So once clearly to capitalize on that investor frenzy around this unusual fundraising vehicle. So SPACs for the listener are special purpose acquisition companies or blank check companies. And they've raised over 40 billion US dollars this year on US exchanges. So what do you think of SoftBank's strategy? And is this a good vehicle for a soft Bank. I'm not so sure it is because you've sort of answered the question in a way when you said $40 billion has been raised so far, but I'm not seeing these SPACs actually going around buying anything, which says to me mm-hmm. the price falls have not occurred yet uh, to make these value trades uh, worthwhile enacting. Also, with that many SPACs on the street, so to speak, uh, when these companies do fall, uh, there's going to be a lot of competition to buy them, which will push up the price. So I'm not, I think that it's a bit of a double-edged sword, and I think uh, SoftBank's coming very late uh, to this and uh, what will be a very competitive market. Our nickname for Jeff, by the way, is The Brain. So we're going to really wring as much from his brain as we can this morning in Money and Me. Jeff, it's time for Jeopardy. So you're familiar with the game, yeah? I give you an item in the news and you tell us um, how it moves markets in the form of a question, all right? Okay, let's right. do this. Right, here we go. Interest rates. Going down. <laughs> oh, what will remain low for the foreseeable future? Yeah, COVID-19. We need the vaccines. Uh, there's a possibility of a second wave, which could actually dampen economic activity in developed markets. Earnings announcements. Should show uh, uh, improvement. They'll be less worse than expected. So let's put it that way, which should be positive for, for share prices. Donald Trump. What can you say about Donald Trump? Soon to be unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's gold. Uh, which happens to be my next word, gold. Uh, gold, uh, long term, uh, uh, very positive. So uh, I, I believe that gold uh, over the next few years is going to rise substantially in value. All right, lightning round time. The US dollar, buy, sell or hold? Hold. Earlier this year, Jeff, you were bullish on the Indonesian rupiah. Is it still a good investment? Uh, it's a much better investment now than it was when I said it then. <laughs> <laughs> Goldman Sachs recommends buying the Mexican peso and Indian rupee as hedges against the US dollar. What's your favorite developing market currency now? I actually am quite keen on the Indonesian rupee. Uh, I, I think uh, and, and the Mexican uh, and the Mexican peso. I, I think the Indian Indian rupee is for the brave only. They have huge challenges ahead. But uh, I, I also like uh, regional Southeast Asian currencies as well. All right. If you had to choose U.S. tech stocks or Chinese tech stocks? U.S. Southeast Asian stocks. Where are we going to see the best growth? Well, that's a very good question. Um, I suspect, actually, it might be somewhere like Thailand, which is uh, control COVID very well, mm. uh, but they've been locked down. And so when tourism resumes there, uh, for example, I can see a, a very huge boost to the Thailand economy on, on many levels. If you were to buy shares in one stock exchange, which would it be? 
Oh, that's a good question. Um, I'll say SGX. All right. A barrel of Brent crude currently trading just under 42 US dollars a barrel. Will it be higher or lower at year's end, Jeff? Lower. All right. And finally, uh, we worked hard on this one. Your favorite precious metal, not to give to Mrs. Haley, but to buy as an investment. (laughs) (laughs) This one would be a good one. I'm going to say silver here, actually. And Mrs. Haley is not a silver fan. It's white gold at a minimum. But uh, I think uh, silver has a very positive outlook. It's also up in industrial use as well as um, being a store of value. Listen, you're such a great spot all the time and you share such great insights with us, Jeff. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, Michelle. It was a pleasure. He's Jeffrey Haley, Senior Market Analyst at Oanda. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SBH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.